If you have your copies of God's Word, we're going to continue where we left off two weeks ago with Paul and Silas in prison, Timothy and Luke are not, because Timothy and Luke are Gentile, and Paul and Silas are Jewish, and they're in a, a Roman providence called Philippi, the first time in Europe where the church is beginning, and Jews are not welcome in this time and age, so they are, they are arrested for touching the wallets of some men and the culture of that city, Philippi. And they put them in prison. They whipped them. And here's where we're going to pick up in verse 26 of chapter 16. And suddenly there was a great earthquake as Paul and Silas were in the inner prison praying and rejoicing and, and, and singing God's praises in the middle of that prison with their feet in uh, wooden stocks that spread their feet as far apart as possible. And while they are praying in the middle of the night, an earthquake happens. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all of the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for the lights to be rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell before Pilate, Pilate. <laughs> Paul and Silas. I'm still on vacation, so my brain is, uh, is going to be puffing out blue smoke here for a while. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together, all who were in the house. And they took them that very hour and that night, and he washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all of his household. And he brought to them into the household and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God and his whole household. Now when the day came, the chief magistrates sent their policemen, saying, Release those men. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The chief magistrates have sent to release you. Therefore, come out and go in peace. And Paul said, I think not. You have beaten us in public without a trial. We are Roman citizens, by the way, and have thrown us into prison. And now they're sending us away secretly because they know they violated the law. No, indeed, let them come and bring us out themselves. The policemen reported these things to the chief magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that Paul and Silas were Romans, and they came and appealed to them. And when they had brought them out, they kept begging them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia, and they went and saw the brethren and encouraged them, and then they departed. Let's ask God's blessing on this, and we'll walk through this together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we thank you for this opportunity, collectively as your bride, to look at the same passage of Scripture together, so that we might move in the same direction with one another. Lord, I I bless your name because you are the one who bears our burdens. You are the one who offers us salvation. You are the God who offers deliverance. And only through you, Lord, 
can we escape death. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be our primary teacher. We pray that our hearts, the ground of our hearts would be fertile, turned over and receptive. Father, I confess my sins in front of these people, of which are many, and almost all of my sin is on purpose. I confess the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And I am so thankful for your Holy Spirit waging war against my flesh. Father, I pray that we would see your word. May the meaning of this text be our message this morning. And again, we ask one thing. Give us Christ. May we know him more. And so, Father, I pray these things and I ask them in your son's precious and holy name. And if you're awake this morning, say amen. Amen. All right, here we go. Can you hear the muffled voices from the inner prison? It's funny how the jailer thought he was putting Paul and Silas in the center of the prison for security reasons, but in reality, he was placing them in a location where as many prisoners as possible would hear the gospel and their singing. It's funny how the Lord moves the hearts of people in a way that we do not see. You see, Paul and Silas, from their perspective, would have been in the worst place possible, but from God's eyes, he has placed them in the very best place possible. And it is here that we already have our first application. We might think that we are in the worst place possible in our lives, whether it be emotionally or physically or politically. But truth be told, God may have you and I in the best place possible for his glory and our growth. So from the center of that prison, you hear the muffled voices of these tortured Jews But I want you to see them in the dark of that prison as well. I want you to see that their backs are torn open with the rods that they were beaten with. Their backs are torn open. The blood of them, of their backs is, 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 is sticky and, and is thickening. Their legs are stretched as far apart as humanly possible in those wooden stocks that bind their feet. And if you listen really close to them in that inner prison, as you hear the voices coming, what do we hear? Do we hear the words, how dare you? Do we hear the words, we're Roman citizens? Are they crying out, this is racism? Are they denouncing God? Are they saying, where are you, God? No. They are singing. And they are singing hymns and they are praying. And so the question rises, how in the world can they sing praises to God in what would seem like the worst place possible to be in, in the worst conditions? Oh, may the context of this text fill our minds. They are, they are singing not because their backs do not matter. They are singing not because their legs are pain-free or they've lost their freedom or their civil rights. My friends, Paul and Silas could sing and rejoice not because these things did not matter, but simply because Jesus mattered more. So I want to pause here for just a moment. 
in, a light, in light of where you are at right now. And I know that many of you are in a horrible place in your life. And I want you to know, I've been there, done that too. But in the middle of that inner prison, whatever the name might be, does Jesus matter more? So Paul and Silas were thrown in the middle of a prison like stones in the middle of a pond and their rejoicing spreads in that prison like ripples on that pond where all other prisoners would be touched by its waves. And we walk into our first section of Scripture here. And suddenly there came an earthquake, which reminds me it's now nerd time, which means we're getting into historical background and context. So with an affirmation, if you're willing to go into nerdville with me, say amen. amen. All right, because it's where nerds rule the world, all right? You think I got up here in an accident? I'm joking, all right? Historically and culturally speaking here, let us remember this prison is located in a polytheistic Roman providence called Philippi. All those descriptors could be summed up in one word, which is Hellenism. Or, if I were to use two words, Hellenistic culture. Allow me to define what Hellenism is. It is the social, political, moral, and religious, cultural way of thinking in Greece and Rome. It's how they saw things. It's what they believed. It's how they functioned. All those descriptions there are the national character and culture of Greece and Rome. Now, all right, with all of that being said, that this is their religious way of thinking, we might say, okay, so what? There was an earthquake that happened in a Hellenistic culture. Well, in ancient Rome, within this Hellenism, earthquakes pointed towards, in their mindset, a theophany. Whenever there was an earthquake, there was, that was an appearance of God. The definition of theophany is the physical manifestation or appearance of a God to man. Now, you see, in our culture, if there is an earthquake, we say, oh, clearly some tectonic plates have shifted in order to release some tension, and I wonder what it registered on the Richter scale. At least that's what we think here in Michigan, amen? Did you know that these lights are hurricane-proof? Thank goodness for code. I remember when they were up here, I'm like, how much is that costing? Well, that's costing fill-in-the-blank because it breaks my heart. And I'm like, what do those do? They protect you from a hurricane. And I'm thinking, we're off subject. That's what I'm thinking, all right? (laughs) But it still bothers me. But I'm going to let it go, all right? When we see an earthquake, we go, oh, it's exactly like Richter scale, all right? In a Hellenistic culture, they would say a God has come and has spoken on a subject. Now, with that cultural mindset, okay, this is not 2022 in West Michigan, all right? This is first century uh, Europe, if you will, in Philippi, in a Hellenistic culture. Pretend that you're, you're that jailer. And by the way, what kind of earthquake happened? Small earthquake, medium earthquake, or what earthquake? Talk to me. Great. A great earthquake. This is a powerful theophany. And you wake up as that jailer with that kind of mindset. And not only is there a theophany happening, 
But boy, I wonder what it's about. And you rush out and look at here. It says all of the doors, yeah, all the doors opened and everyone's chains are unfastened. You have a very clear idea what this God is doing. You may not know the God. You might not know which God, polytheistic. Maybe it's Apollos. Maybe it's the spirit of Python. Maybe it's all of these other things. But clearly, there's a word being spoken by a God, and it is great, and it is about releasing these men. And by the way, let's add on top of that, you were the ones that just put them in chains, put them in torturous wooden stocks, and they decided to put them in the inner prison. And you just put Paul and Silas, by the way, who demonstrated divine power. They threw out the spirit of that slave girl who was, who was predicting the future for her masters. So they have demonstrated divine power. And now the earth shakes and their hands are free. My friends, if you were the jailer in this culture and you are seeing and remembering and knowing all of these things, you are absolutely terrified why the gods have acted on behalf of Paul and Silas. Now, we're not done because that's only half of the nerd part of the sermon, all right? There's more. And if the gods have freed, now you're the jailer, you're not you, you're the jailer, If the gods have earthquaked and freed them and they've exhibited divine power, what side of the issue are you on as the jailer? Talk to me. Right side or wrong side? You're on the wrong side. You're on the wrong side. By the way, there's even more than just being on the wrong side of this theophany. In fact, and and I'm going to pull away from my notes for a minute, it will be the theophany side of this issue that calls him to cry out, what must I do to be saved? Not that someone escaped. Take this look here. Not only is he on the wrong side of this theophany, he also knew if any of these prisoners escaped under his watch, that according to Roman law found within the code of Justinian 944, that if a Roman guard lost its, his captives, he could suffer execution. Hence the word, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Now, finish the statement. I am between a rock and a what? He is between a rock and God. It is with this in mind, with this nerd part here, it is with this in mind that we understand why he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. He is so dead in every way. He is dead both because he's on the wrong side of the theophany and he is on the wrong side of the Roman law. There is no fork in the road where he lives. Now Paul sees what's going on. And he cried out with a loud voice, said, don't harm yourself, we are all here. Just a quick point out here. Paul had empathy and concern for the welfare of others in the midst of his own personal pain. I'm just going to let that application set there and you can apply it as you see fit. By the way, if there was an earthquake and you've been praying and praising God and worshiping him in the inner and you've been tortured and all that stuff and the earth shakes and your chains fall off and the doors swing open, how many here are staying? Anyone at all? What in the world is he praying for? 
You know, and not only does he, do they not leave, they convince the other inmates not to leave as well. We are all here. This guy's out of his mind. Now, with that in mind, this is where it gets interesting. Up to this point, I know, bored to tears. But this is where it gets interesting. The jailer is no longer in danger of Roman law, is he not? So why in the world does he say, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Well, we see it right here. With the law no longer being the problem, why is he saying this? None of the prisoners have escaped. Roman law holds no threat at this moment. Yet, as you see up there in the orange... He has listened to their singing. He has heard their prayers. He knows Paul exercised divine power through the delivering of a demon-possessed slave girl who, by the way, exhibited more power than the temple god Apollos in that area and the earthquake, not to mention the theophany that it was baked into this Hellenistic culture that caused the doors to open, the chains to fall from, from the arms of the prisoners that he tortured and imprisoned in the stocks. And with this Hellenistic mindset of, of gods are clearly against him, there is nothing left to say than the words, what must I do to be saved? I have nowhere to go. Here's a question. Side note, rabbit trail, peripheral, but I think still fairly within the text. Here's a question. You answer. It's not, hypo- not hypothetical. I want you to answer it. Could God have dropped those chains and opened the door with no earthquake? What's the answer? <sighs> with a yawn. Why the earthquake? Earlier in Acts, Paul just, the door just swung open and he kind of just walked out into the night and headed on. Or that was Peter. That was Peter. Peter, Paul, and Mary. Now I'm singing in my head. All right? You guys are evil. Stick to the sun. No, I'm just teasing you. I don't think I could name one of their songs. What's one? That's not in the text. Stick to the. Now I'm somewhere else. Thanks, brother. Now I'm at Rocky Mountain High. West Virginia, stick to the text, folks. Here we are. Could he have done it without an earthquake? The answer is yes. Why then the earthquake? Why the earthquake? Well, I've studied long and hard. Here it is. It took me eight hours to figure this out. Are you ready? He decided to. So write that down. That's nine years of education there. All right? But more than that, Could it be that God is using the Hellenistic mindset in Philippi? As pagan as it may have been then to bring this jailer to salvation, not only this jailer, but his family, maybe a few inmates who are going to join Lydia in verse 40. Could it be that God is using their culture to reveal himself? Here's a a little statement. Who can be God's counselor? Who can know his ways? Is not our Lord merciful? So Luke records the most beautiful summary of the gospel presentation ever baked into the canon to this jailer. Now, I want you to hear that word condensed summary because it's important. And allow me to unpack that. He says this, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. 
I'm going to make some declarative statements, and if you agree to them, please, please do so by affirming them with an amen or whatever word you so choose, but not puff the magic dragon. This is one of the most powerful summaries of the gospel in all of Scripture. In fact, let me make this clear in high definition. Here it is. If you would agree with this, affirm it with an amen. A gospel that requires more than faith alone is not the gospel. Amen? It's by faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But let me also make a warning and observation here. This is a summary of the gospel that Luke recorded. It is not the totality of all that Paul said. In fact, D.L. Bach speaks for every theologian I studied this week when he said this. Uh, Yeah, here it is. Luke is summarizing here. The jailer would have had the meaning of such confession explained to him. Marshall echoes this in a different way. He says, when, when we are dealing, what we are dealing with here is a, a condensed summary of the gospel limited for Luke's purpose. Paul did not say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and walk away. Or put up on the bulletin board, three more believe the summary. Unfortunately, like we do today, this brief answer clearly needed to be unpacked from Scripture. Oh, if there's ever been something that has damaged, if not destroyed, the church in America today, it's that we have sold a summary for the whole. This brief answer needed to be unpacked. So Paul unpacked to the jailer and his family all that believing in Jesus meant and required. You see, true faith, true belief in Jesus has a specific definition. It has an appropriation to our lives. It has an outcome in our lives. We must understand what belief means before we claim it. We must understand what the gospel is before we declare possession of it. So Paul unpacks the summary statement, and we see this blatantly true in verse 32. And they spoke the word of the Lord together with all of them that were in the house. Now this word spoke the word of the Lord to them. Paul is not unpacking that night ten systematic categories of theology. Paul is not breaking out into some thematic package on how to be your best you now. Paul is, is, is not breaking down the subclassifications of dispensationalism of Israel on eschatology and how it will affect your hermeneutical approach to the canon of bibliology. I don't even know what I said there, all right? Most of those are words. So the question rises, what is Paul talking about? What is Paul talking about? What did they unpack from the word of the Lord to everyone who is in the house? Are you ready for this? Here it is. They unpacked from the word of the Lord what it meant to believe on the Lord Jesus and be saved. That's what they unpacked. 
It's right there. In fact, we see it clearly in the text that they didn't believe until after Paul unpacked what it meant to place your faith in Jesus. We see this in verse 34 at the end here, and they rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Now, why do I say this? Why do I say this? My friends, I'm going to say something that is going to make us extremely uncomfortable. But its truth and significance cannot be overlooked. And frankly, it cannot be rejected from the Word of God. And so here it is. There is a danger in teaching the summary of the gospel as if it is the whole gospel. For it can inevitably create a cheap substitute for the genuine. Let me say that again. There is a danger in teaching the summary of the gospel as its complete gospel for it can create a cheap substitute for the genuine. Here's a question, and feel free to answer it as you see fit. Have we seen a cheap substitute for the power of the gospel in the church today? Have we? Of course we have. And if we're really honest, we might even say, I've seen it in my own life. A gospel that can be claimed, but not appropriated. Do we see generations within the church that claim a gospel that has no effect on their lives? Believes they are saved while, while living and loving like the damned and have no issue with it? My friends, let me be clear because I've got to be clear here. I'm going to get emails saying that, that this is somehow insufficient. That's not what I'm saying here. Let me be clear. Salvation is by faith alone. You cannot earn it. It is by the grace of God so that no one could ever possibly boast. But may we have ears to hear. Faith is not merely in agreement to terms. Faith is not merely intellectual acceptance. Saving faith is both professed and appropriated to our lives. You might say, Someone should write this down. You might say, if anyone belongs in Christ, he will become a new creation. The old will be gone and the new will begin. You might say, in the words of Jesus, repent and believe the gospel. We might echo of the words of Thomas, my Lord and my God. Oh, my friends, out of love and truth and humility, but with no apology, in the name of Jesus Christ in his wonderful, free, paid-for gift, we must say from the Word of God, if you say you believe in Jesus, but your life is not being transformed. I believe in Jesus, but our values are the same. I believe in Jesus, but our, our desires are like the world. If we say He is the bread of life, but we fill our stomachs with sin. If we say He is precious, but truthfully we could take or leave Him then may we hear today it is likely that we have, we have dangerously agreed to a summary of ideas and as a result we have placed our faith into nothing more than a glossary of terms and there is no salvation in that because here it is, when we place our faith in Jesus, it changes everything. Everything in our life changes. He becomes the air that we breathe. 
Our lives are no longer our own. Going to church is not an obligation. It is a blessed privilege to be with his bride, to sing his praises. Service is not a chore. It's for his glory. God's unchanging morality in our lives is not to limit our fun, but to joyfully uh, point to his holiness. Now I want to make a clarification here. The summary of this gospel is sufficient for salvation. The summary of this gospel is sufficient for salvation. Yet potentially inadequate if misapplied. If misunderstood. Let me say this another way. Agreeing to the summary of the gospel is not synonymous with being saved by it. Let me show you how true this is. If I were to say to some of my Mormon friends, and I do have Mormon friends, I love going hiking with them in southern Utah, and I love them. And so this is not an attack. It's just a statement of truth. If I said to my Mormon friends, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, do you know what my Mormon friends would say? Amen. I believe in Jesus Christ and am saved. They would say amen. Yet, hear this. In love, we would still believe in two very different Jesuses. And we would still believe in two very different Gospels. But let's not look to other faiths so that we can swing a stick like a piñata. Let us look in the mirror and at ourselves. How many of our children who have grown up in the church wake up on Sunday, never darken the door of the church, never share the gospel, avoid sacrificial giving, never hunger for the things of God, never read his word, don't blink twice at sin, and frankly, embrace it and call sin good, and believe they are saved because we taught them a summary of terms and the importance of remembering the date they agreed to it. True faith in Jesus flips our lives upside down. In fact, this truth bleeds all over the New Testament. It is hemorrhaging everywhere. It is, it is sticking on these pages right now that when we truly appropriate Jesus Christ in our lives, you can see it sticking there. Everything changes. I'm not saying all at once. That's that beautiful term called progressive sanctification. And by the way, let us be graceful towards one another because we are all on a journey. Amen? And how many here have realized that journey is bumpy and you skin your knees up quite a bit? Anyone at all? Let's be gracious. Look at the text. After having the summary of the gospel unpacked, the word of the Lord spoken to them, And they heard it. Look what happened to his life. Did he go right back to the very same guy he was before? With maybe just a shiny veneer? Everything changed. 
Grab this nerd context here, this hardened Hellenistic polytheistic Roman guard who just placed Paul's feet in torturous wooden stocks in the center of a prison is now washing their wounds. He is caring for the prisoners. He is feeding them. He wants his household to hear the gospel. And just moments ago, he was ready to commit suicide and now wants to be baptized unto new life. You might say the old goes away. You see, when Paul unpacked the summary, he shared with them all that we have studied in so far in Acts. He just didn't leave it as a summary. That's just, that's just Luke shrinking it down so that we can read it in the day. He unpacks it. And what does he unpack? All of what's happening in Acts. What Jesus taught them before he ascended. To believe in Jesus means this. It means to believe Jesus was God, is God, was God, is God in the flesh. He's not a man who used to be a sinner just like us and that he did a lot of good works and eventually he ascended unto Godhood. That, that's, that's, no, he, he is God in the flesh before Abraham I am. Jesus hovered over the the waters of creation. To believe who God is, to believe what he did on the cross in his death, burial, and resurrection, to believe in the life and the work of Jesus Christ and how it is appropriated to our lives, and then to repent, by the way, which is a gift. It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. To repent and turn away from our old lives and turn towards God. By the way, have you done that? Have you done that? Or have we just agreed to a summary of terms? This is the evidence of true faith. My friends, if your faith in Jesus is producing nothing, it is likely because there is nothing to your faith. Do we really believe that the presence of the Holy Spirit that is given to us as a deposit upon salvation will not produce a growing desire for God? Do you know that one of the primary reasons we have the Holy Spirit is to push us to the love and the desire to to know and live for Jesus Christ more? And if that's not happening in our lives, there's two options. The Holy Spirit is being disobedient, and I'm not going to go there, all right? Or we don't have Him. But the Holy Spirit is not dormant. One of my professors in college who shook me out of my false positive salvation said this to my life. He said this right to my life. If the Holy Spirit is not pushing you towards Jesus Christ, it's because he's not in you. Wow. I want to touch on something quickly here. And immediately he was baptized. When was he baptized? After believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who joined him? His whole household. When did they join him? After they heard Paul spoke the word of the Lord and unpacked what it meant to believe in Jesus and you will be saved. Let me just say this clearly and with love. All those baptized did so after responding to the teaching and unpacking of the gospel. 
This would limit the amount of infants in the river. Baptism, as always, in all of the New Testament, has always followed personal faith in Jesus Christ. It is an act of personal obedience after salvation through faith, and it publicly identifies us with Jesus Christ, dead to ourselves, alive in Him. And it is the pattern of every example in the New Testament. Every example. From the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when thousands upon thousands upon thousands in Jerusalem were baptized. After, after receiving the Holy Spirit, every believer at the Gentile Pentecost in Acts chapter 10 were baptized after receiving the Holy Spirit and placing their faith in Jesus Christ. And every believer after that, the Ethiopian eunuch, as he's reading Isaiah, he, he receives Christ and says, is there a reason why I can't be baptized? To Cornelius and his entire family, to Lydia, and so on, and so on, and this jailer and his family. Here's a question. Have you placed your faith, not in a summary, but have you placed your faith in the whole unpacked gospel of Jesus Christ. Now some of you in this room know you haven't. Because that Holy Spirit is not working. And the Holy Spirit is not dormant. And for some of us, we have. We have done that. So let me ask you a question. Are you obedient to him after placing your faith in him, being baptized and publicly identifying? If you haven't, next Sunday evening. Publicly. And that's why I love these river baptisms. Not that some are less than or more than. I just love the fact that we publicly get out in the middle of Rockford and people stop on the rail trail and they stop on the bridge and kayaks always interrupt what we're doing. And I'm like, you want to get baptized? I'm running a special. Two for one. Is that called BOGO? Is that what that's called? Now I'm thinking of Bono, which makes me think of you too, which makes me think of Puff the Magic Dragon. This is why I don't get ministry done. You're always in my way. No, I'm just <laughs> Ministry are the people, is it not? You people are getting in the way of ministry. We are the ministry. We are it. Now, <laughs> did I say that out loud? Next Sunday night, publicly, I love it when unbelievers just stop what they're doing and they appreciate, at least some of them do, the cultural value and beauty of it. But but they hear hundreds of people on the shoreline singing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Some glad morning, when this life is o'er, I'm going to fly away. And the testimony of Jesus Christ is just rippling out, like in that prison, rippling out. I love that. If you haven't been baptized, please join us. Now, I want to close with an observation that's going to make us smile. And I love this. They went out of the prison. They entered the house of Lydia 
first convert in, in Philippi, and, and she had some friends. This is an actual picture of Lydia. We were able to get it from Luke's footnotes there. All right? It might be a clip from Little House in the Prairie, but that's irrelevant. All right? Doc Baker was going to marry her, but it didn't work out because he was much older, all right? And she was younger, and of course, Harriet didn't approve of it, and then she started talking, and again, that's not in the text, all right? He entered the house of Lydia, a seller of purple. She was wealthy. She was from Asia. She had a house in Philippi as well, and she sold purple to royalty and to the rich. And when they had saw the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. No, I love I love this. And we're going to be done in within an hour here. Okay, now, I'm teasing, we're almost done. Uh, yeah. Depends, depends. We don't have church tonight, do we? No? Okay, so I got an extra 45. Just want to point this out. The church in Europe is growing. The church in Europe is growing. And by the way, they're all transformed. And it meets in the house of the first convert, Lydia. And I want you to look around at its growing membership, all right? A demon-possessed ex-slave girl, some ex-inmates, a Roman jailer and his family. Let me say this another way. The rich, the poor, the slave, the free, the male, the female. My friends, there could be a, a no greater, more diverse group of people ethnically, socially, psychologically, and culturally than this group of people. Their chances of unity in the church is slightly greater than the average garb church. I'll let you grab that. They couldn't be more diverse. You know, a lot of times we want the church to look like us, act like us, and frankly, if we could be honest, reflect us. When what we should be after is a church that looks like, acts like, and reflects Jesus Christ. Look at the church in Philippi. They are so different. Do you think for a moment the rich woman from Asia who sold purple to royalty and had multiple homes, had the same culture and mannerisms as a formerly demon-possessed slave girl in a Hellenistic Roman colony? Do you think for a moment the slave girl may have been a bit more passionate about her new freedom and position in Christ than maybe, maybe Lydia, a rich woman who has only known freedom and position? Just to make my point, Can you see the slave girl's worship is more emotional and Lydia's a little bit more refined? Can you see Lydia demanding more decorum while the slave girl demands more emotion? Which one is right? My point is this. If rich Lydia can grow in Christ next to a poor demon-possessed slave girl, 
in inmate with a jailer, the free with the slave, the male with the female, the, the poor and the rich, they can all worship together in Philippi, then maybe, here it is, just maybe, I'm almost done, don't go away, here it is, just maybe, maybe we can worship together as well. Maybe a Democrat with a Republican can too. Maybe a black and a white. Maybe a, a, the proper and the refined. Maybe the drummer and the organist can worship together. No. Anathema. Look at this group. How would you like to be the guard having a prayer meeting with your inmate? Maybe we are all one in Christ. Maybe tribalism doesn't belong in the church. And it should not be the rubric by how we define ourselves. For too long the churches strive to define themselves by a style and a mannerism rather than the, the love and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the whole counsel of God. But pastor, how in the world are we going to function if we are so different? This is amazing. I want you to think about this diverse church in Philippi on that screen. Because Paul is going to tell them when he writes the book of Philippians, Philippi, Philippians, he writes back to this group of people. When they got the book of of Philippians, these kinds of people, if not them themselves, are going to read it or hear it. To the church in Philippi, he says to Lydia, the slave girl, the jailer, the inmate, and his family, and all those intendants at that time, By the way, he didn't say, force everyone to conform to your style and mannerisms and make it a spiritual issue. No. He said this. You want to know how diverse people stay in fellowship with each other? He wrote this in Philippians. By maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent, and one purpose, do nothing from selfishness, but with humility consider the slave girl as more important than yourself, Lydia. Do not merely look out for your own interests, jailer, but the interest of the inmates in that church. Have this attitude in you because it's the same attitude that was in Jesus Christ. Can you imagine if we applied this today? rather than cut and run whenever we do not see our own reflection in other people. My friends, we are not one in Christ because we all act like, look like, and think alike. We are one in Christ because we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's be a diverse body of believers who are less interested in personal conformity to one another and more interested in conformity to Jesus Christ. Because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Have you believed a summary? that has not transformed it's time to unpack that have you been transformed but have not been obedient in the waters of baptism it's time to fix that
Are there brothers and sisters in in Christ that you're not sure you want to worship with because you don't see your reflection? Let this mind be in you, that which was also in Jesus Christ. It starts with me. It starts with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. May it transform us. May we love you. May we love the Christ in our culture far more than our culture around Christ. And Father, I pray this and I ask this in your son's precious name. Amen. You guys are dismissed. I love you. Have a great day.